Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh, dear listeners. I'm your host, Salif bin Abdullah, and welcome back to another episode of Radio Islam. Today, I have three very special guests joining me. Uh, they are Bruce Elder, Rabbi of Hakafa uh, Reform Youth Jewish Congregation of the North Shore, uh, Asif Mas'ud, uh, Interfaith and Outreach Committee of MCC, it's the Muslim Community Center, and uh, Jeff Braun, Senior Pastor of Wanetka Congregational. Uh, and each of them are visiting us today as representatives of their communities, uh, and they'll be talking about uh, a lot of the uh, activism and uh, relief work that they've been doing as of, as of late uh, at the U.S.-Mexican border, and uh, we're really excited to have you on. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you for having us. So tell us a little bit about yourselves. Um, what, uh, what kind of prompted you uh, to get involved in this kind of work, or you know, what about your, your faith um, uh, kind of compels you or, or encourages you to engage in this type of uh, you know, projects and initiatives? I think you started this, right, Jeff? Back <laughs> a couple of years ago. Yeah, the record will state that we're all pointing at each other and not saying anything. Yeah. So we came together, um, gosh, two years ago now yeah. for the first time. I think Jeff had approached Dil Nas, who's the uh, chair of the um, Interfaith and Outreach Committee at MCC, yeah. talking about a trip down to Houston because uh, Hurricane... Pardon. Harvey had just hit Houston a couple months before that, and we were looking at, you know, what can we do to go down and help? Yeah. Um, and I think you guys maybe had, had done a trip before, maybe you guys had already started talking, um, and then uh, kind of pulled us in uh, to the fray of that. And so we, um, and there was a lot of dialogue back and forth at that time, but long story short, we went down together. There were about 21 of us um, at that town or at that time um, down in Houston. Um, and there were two purposes for that. One was to help rebuild, yes. um, spending a week down there, um, working with an organization called uh, St. Bernard Parish, SBP. So they basically provided all the materials, the expertise, and we were the labor yeah, um, yeah. that was helping rebuild down there. So we did that throughout the day. And then at night, we learned about each other's faiths and each other's congregations. And it was kind of like, what do you want to ask a Jew? What do you want to ask a Christian? What do you right. want to ask a Muslim? Right. And that's how this, um, our partnership got started. Sure, sure. What kind of uh, questions come up during those types of conversations? The, the funny thing is that that we as the leaders of the trip would initiate those conversations. They wouldn't necessarily be people beating down the door like, we have to ask these questions. And, and great questions would come up, but my question is gonna, or my answer is gonna be sort of a non-response. It's amazing how much of our time we spend not discussing theology yeah. or yeah. the differences or the yeah. similarities. And there's just this very, very prayerful, very faith embodied, faith in motion, um, sense of awareness that like it's the being together you know we are temple we are sure. synagogue we're mosque we're congregation sanctuary together in what we're doing so there's not a lot of explicit discussion of faith tradition but there's another ana utter enactment of it and then a recognition in that of this incredible commonality and i think that sense of our, right. our just fellow humanity right humanizing the other and, and kind of yeah and, so given and, the trip we just had down to the border last week or not two weeks ago i'm sorry where we had scheduled at the end of every night, we're gonna debrief on the day and then open up this conversation. By the end of the day, we were just so darn tired that all we wanted to do was just talk with each other and be with each other. And yeah, so right. any attempt to go there just was incredibly irrelevant because yeah. it, was the, it was the being that mattered. Yes, yes. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
And that, just to add one thing, there was such a seamlessness in the room while you were utterly aware who was from which faith community that there wasn't this sense of, you know, articulation within the group. It was just we became the group. We really became kind of the, the micro of God's people right there. You just really felt it. And there was that last day of camp, like, sad, why does this have to be over? Why does this <laughs> yeah. have to be over feeling, <laughs> right, right. you know, the night of our last dinner? Yeah. Um, which is just such a, a, a beautiful thing to experience. Right, absolutely. I think, uh, and especially when it comes to, like, these types of initiatives specifically, um, where you're, I mean, you're, you're, you're primarily focused and concentrated on uh, uh, helping those in need, essentially, really. Mm -hmm. It's really what it comes down to. And, and so when people are brought together... For these projects, I mean, you're, I mean, that's that's every that's the goal in everyone's mind, right? That's the common denominator between everyone, and so, I think it's 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 a really beautiful thing. It's very a, a pluralistic thing, but uh, uh, something that kind of like I guess you could say, is is unifying overall. So we at Hakka Five done these trips eight or nine times now in terms of whether yeah. it be disaster relief or this, and hands down, every time despite the trip, the one that gets the most kind of wow, there was an added layer of depth and meaning is when the three of us work together, the three yeah. the three houses of worship. Yeah, absolutely. And so it is about the commonality, um, but it's also acknowledging that we are making, for lack of a better word, a political statement. Sure. And the political statement is a pushback against the general tenor of our country yeah. and beyond that says that we're supposed to not be getting along. Right. And yeah. that certain folks... Um, are to be feared. Yeah. Uh, we're pushing back against that narrative and saying it's not that. And just being together is an act of a protest almost, which is a really awful thing to have to say, yeah. but assured one. Yeah. But it's all, it, it was interesting because when we were down there, I don't know if it was somebody in the camp or someone in the city that asked the question, how is this possible? Like, how are you guys yes. working together, right? <laughs> yes. And, and, and they were, like, surprised that right. we weren't at each other's That's because they just know each other personally <laughs> they were asking that question. <laughs> right, right. Which, I mean, I mean that, that, those types of questions are essentially prompt you to think, and you can't help but think to yourself, okay, well, are you insinuating that we're not supposed to be getting along? And well, that <laughs> so, was the assumption. Right, so, <laughs> so, so I mean... Um, but, but Which would have been the right question to ask, by right, the way. Right, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And I think... You know, and that kind of probably would have put them in a very awkward position to kind of be more critically, you know, think about these things more in depth. But yeah. um, uh, so, so, so you, I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah. Okay, sorry. <laughs> um, a question to sort of branching off of that, all of you or uh, each of you individually. What about your faith compelled you to start this initiative and to go out and help others? So I think in terms of the, the, the initial... I'll just speak for myself. We, we wanted to go down and help the folks after Hurricane Harvey, and I remember it came up in my mind. I thought, we, we haven't had an adult mission trip in a while, um, a service trip. Um, we don't do any proselytizing, so I don't mean mission in that sense. Yeah. The mission is to be with others, is to be of service, is to be together, and then to focus that love, that energy we feel you know, into the broader world. Yeah. Where, as Bruce said, uh, I think the message of our togetherness is antidote and antithesis to all of the underpinnings, the, the kind of quietly acculturated uh, program views that we shouldn't be able to get along. And look at all the evidence of how we're not getting along in the airwaves. Yeah. Well, that's not true. Um, I was offering it during the course of a sermon saying we need to go down, we need to be hands on the problem. And then I thought, why on earth would we do this alone? That doesn't make any sense. We need to reach out. So it was in very quick succession. Um, I hadn't yet met Asif. We had not yet met, met Asif. That's how we come to know you. 
was to reach out to the Muslim Community Center sure. and knew Bruce and we just said, yeah, we got to do this. Yeah. And I feel that my faith is so much more powerfully rooted and so much more animated and so much more infused with its true ethic of what it's supposed to be and what it asks of me. When I come back from trips with these two and their congregations, their faith communities, um, it, it takes me out of the lull of kind of doing your own thing and recognizing you know, we are all part of that broader fold. Yeah, so sure. I feel that we can witness to our own beliefs utterly and no less, with no less respect, regard, reverence, appreciation, witness to the faith traditions of our brothers, sisters, and friends. And I'm a better informed, better grounded Christian and a more open-minded one all at the same time after trips like this. That's what they do for me. They make me realize why I want to be in sacred conversation and relationship. Yeah, for sure. Um, what about you guys? <laughs> what about you guys? <laughs> yeah, it was, um, so for me personally, um, you know, I've been on this spiritual quest of um, getting closer to Allah, right? So this is something probably started more really focused like three, four years ago. Um, and as a part of that, and these guys get a kick out of it, I, I talk about Rumi, um, Rumi a lot. Yeah, and yes. uh, one of Rumi's quotes is, if you want to get closer to God, or if you want to love God, love God's children, mm -hmm. right? And that that really spoke to me. Um, and so and it didn't say and God's children includes, you know, all religions, right? It doesn't say, you know, just Muslims. Um, and so I've been focused on, and that's actually around that time when I joined the Interfaith Committee because I wanted to yeah. kind of broaden out and not just focus on Muslims. Um, but, you know, all religions, not just the two that are here, but all religions, because we actually just did a race um, back in October, a run uh, relay, or it wasn't a relay, but a run, multi-faith run, run walk. walk um, so it was the three of us, and then we also invited the Baha'i faith and the Sikh faith um, yeah. as a part of that. So yeah. this is just the expansion for me about just being with God's children, right? Uh, loving God's children, love thy neighbor. Mm -hmm. And specifically this trip, um, has other layers to it. Um, you know, I'm a child of immigrants. My dad came here in 1959. So seeing refugees, immigrants being treated that way, that was another layer for me um, yes. that took part in this. Um, and then I think there was an, a third part was just like this eight, because we went down there, uh, three of us and three others from Hakafa in October. Um, to kind of plan this trip, a bigger trip. And there's this aching that comes when you see people like treated the way they are and you want to do something. And I think it's just this whole thing of, you know, um, you know, when a, one part of you is aching, like the whole part is aching, right? right? Yes. Mm -hmm. And so you want to be able to tend to, um, I, you know, that pain. <laughs> yeah, 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 for sure. And the one thing I'll add to it as a religious being, wondering what that word religious means. Um, also the son of an immigrant, the son of a Holocaust survivor. Mm. I learned early on that what it means for me to be a religious person is if I'm going to watch what goes into my mouth, I better watch what comes out of it. Mm. And they're equal. Sure. So ritual has to be manifested in how we work in the world, and how we work in the world has to be manifested in the ritual, and they come together. So how can I claim to be a religious person if I'm not also on the streets calling out in the name of all of our traditions, but mine specific, what we're supposed to be doing in this world. Yeah, for sure. Amen. That yeah. message is very important that between our faiths and faiths in general, we have way, way more in common, especially, you know, um, God's request of us to help others regardless of our faith or their faith. Yes. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, look, I think it's really important for us not to try, you know, America is a melting pot. We debunked that a long time ago. Yeah. I don't want you to melt into me, and I don't want to melt into you. Right. Right? Let's, it's yeah. difficult to appreciate each other for the differences and to see it not as a threat. The new metaphor is it's a salad. Salad. That's salad. actually from the 1980s. That's so old, man. That's, you just aged yourself. <laughs> but look, so, so we get together. I mean, we, we don't, the three of us don't get together that often, but I know the two of you, we do, we do. And when Asif and I get together, we just kind of lay it out there, and we just talk, and, we, and, and that's what's so important. We don't have to... I don't have to agree with you. Sure. I have to appreciate you yeah. and honor you and respect you for the thoughtful individual person you are and from the place from which you come. Mm-hmm. Let us do that. That's yeah, the beauty sure. of America, not trying to make you me and vice versa and right. then therefore debunk you or just diminish you because you're not what I right. think mm-hmm. you should be. There's no, no need for any type of like ideological coercion or, no. or any of that. It's, it's no. you know, we're all different, but we come together even with our differences. Plus they know I'm right. So it's <laughs> <laughs> and then only with those pixels can we interrelate or have some sense of community is absolutely categorically bankrupt. No one would want to opt into that. That's, you know, I'm speaking again about the the melting pot I did. No one would want to buy into that. Why would we need to buy into that? And ultimately, to be very theological, but I won't go and give you a sermon, which they know I'm (laughs) likely to do, so don't look too worried. And when you start, you don't stop, so that's the other. Exactly, he's going, he's going. Like, why would God not be big enough to be able to house and frame and ground and guide and gird all those traditions sure. in that way that only the all-exceeding, mysterious God could? So we're, we're limiting God, we're limiting ourselves when we look at that. Well, we just have to take the parts that are the same, or, you know, let's not look at the parts that are different. No, right. we can be our full selves yeah, absolutely. and not always agree, but still be utterly in grounded community. Right. And that's what just happens so organically. It's like yeah. the minute we quote unquote get on the bus to go on one of these trips, even though there's no bus involved, but <laughs> at any rate, it's a metaphor. <laughs> there's this sense of beautiful blend and just ability to be together. And that's what I think we want people to be as aware of as any of the particular work we focus that community on. Yeah. Equal to what we focus the work on is the how we are together and doing it sure. and what it helps us to become. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, no need to, uh, you know, convince ourselves or pretend that we're all the same in order to treat one another as equals. Exactly. And I also think partially is that to be a religious person is to admit that, uh, you know, too many people think that religious people are the ones who know they're right. <laughs> and that, that's just, that, that faith means that you, that you know you're right. right. And I think that faith actually means that it's okay to be wrong. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. it, and, and it's hard when we live in our own bubbles, wherever they are, to find out how we're wrong. And so to be with people that you trust, that you can just be in relationship with, it allows us to expand our wrongness. Sure, If that sure. makes sense. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and Bruce being wrong a lot. It's, really, it's a very faith-building thing for him. Asif and I are just so happy to help him with his wrongness. Did that sound wrong? <laughs> I, I love this whole dynamic between the three of you right now. It's, no, no, I mean, this is, this is great, though, and, and it's, it's really a beautiful thing. I mean, you're able to, 
take shots at one another. And, <laughs> and, 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 and we take much better shots with Jeff when he's not around. <laughs> right. Notice how he said, well, when Asif and I are having lunch, we just talk openly about me, about me. This is an intervention. <laughs> um, so, serious question, actually. So, I just want to shift, shift gears a little bit here. Um, so, when you guys went down there, what was the situation like? Uh, what did you witness? Uh, what were some of the interactions uh, with some of the people that you uh, engaged in? Well, how was that whole experience like? So, it was definitely moving. Yeah. Um, and there were two parts to the trip. Uh, one was serving of the food. Uh, so, sure. preparing the food and then serving of the food. And then the other was witnessing. And, man, we can get into so much detail on this. So, you know, we would we would spend half the day cutting and pulling and preparing the food yeah. um, and then load it up onto wagons. And then we'd walk those wagons across the border. So we weren't driving. That's how we were transporting uh, the uh, food over. And then we were serving. Yeah. Um, and so and that was difficult, too, going into the camps, you know, these camps are tent cities and go ahead. Just, so right now currently there is a, a a camp of asylum seekers from largely from Central America but not only yeah. that are encamped on the bridge right in Matamoros. Currently there are 2,800 people in that camp, 80% of whom are from Honduras. I just wanted to fill that in so sure. keep going because I just wanted to give context. No, absolutely. Um, that have no resources except for when people come in to feed them. Right. Um, and our job was to prepare food for about a thousand people. So, um, and you know, we have an organiz couple organizations down there now. So, Team Brownsville definitely is an integral part of this. And World Central Kitchen is actually now taking over the responsibility of yeah. cooking the food. When we went in October, actually, we chopped and all that, and then we also cooked the food. So yeah. it was a little bit of a bigger task. So this time around, uh, we still. I mean, it was a good five six hours where we were chopping stuff up. And then taking the food over and then, you know, they'd part their ways and let us in. So that was the yeah. other thing. Like I had this fear, you know, are they going to rush us or what's the condition going to be when we were going in there? And, you know, they, and I think their part of it is they're getting used to it. But another part is like they so appreciate all the people down there yeah. helping them out. Right. So they parted, um, you know, it's like a C, right. They parted to let us through. Um, and then there were two lines formed very much on their own. Um, and then, you know, our job was to serve. Um, yeah. And so that brings up a lot of emotions. Um, you could say, like, just the anger of this is a man-made kind of crisis. Um, yeah. Sadness seeing, you know, men, but especially women and children living in those conditions. Um, and then, you know, there was also joy. Like, we're there to help people out. And there's a lot of people there helping each other out. But then the other part is, like, you know, I'm deciding how much food a person gets to eat today. And, yeah. you know, that that doesn't sit well with me. I had a lot of <laughs> emotions coming right. up around right. that part of it. So, but with, with, yeah. uh, with a very limited amount of resources, it's like, what more can you do anyway? You know, it's, 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 uh, it's, it's, it's problematic in that sense. It's the push-pull. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, doing too much or doing too little. I mean, yeah. especially in that, right? So how do you even decide? But yeah. why don't you guys So what I'll jump into and say in that is... These guys have heard this too many times. Our congregation, Hakafa's involvement at the border, began in October of 18, where when we learned about the expansion of child separation and child detention on the borders, that we got very involved in a national coalition to yeah. shut a camp down. When we went down in October um, to scout things out, I was unsure of my emotions. I got really angry when I came back because, as they have heard me say, um, I was 
I'm going to get political here. <laughs> Go ahead. I was very surprised when the current president got into office and tried to find a scapegoat with the Muslim community and that didn't succeed as well as he wanted, he was looking for the next people of color that he could impose yeah. that scapegoatishness on. Yeah. What we see going on the border right now is a continuation of oppression of people of color in our community and trying to find a scapegoat that always works with white people in yeah. our society. And it goes back to our constitution. And so to see what's going on there so blatantly, so plainly in our faces, when 80% of the people at the border right now have sponsors, that the that what's going on at the border, remain in Mexico, is a political decision made to inflame people against people of color and an easy target of disempowered people. Yeah. Right? And to see that we are part of that and, and are doing that purposefully. It's just too much to handle. Yeah, it's just sure. too much, and 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 to see the overwhelmingness of that uh, playing out in in kids that are being criminalized. Yeah, yeah. So that's what I came away with it, both in October and reaffirmed it now. And and as I heard yesterday, remain in Mexico uh, is actually on the way out as we are pushing people farther back into asylum. Now we're, we're pushing their asylum claims into Guatemala and Honduras from yeah. which they're fleeing. Wow. Yeah. So, so, that's, so there's a real context here for that. Yeah, for sure, definitely. Um, to your knowledge, uh, have the asylum seekers been offered uh, any assistance by anyone else, whether it's uh, some sectors of either the U.S. government or Mexican government, any other NGOs, nonprofit, other nonprofit organizations, or or other, other church congregations or synagogue congregations or, or mosques or anything like that? There are now a number of organizations on the ground in the camp itself. Yeah. Uh, Doctors Without Borders is now there. There's now ACLU has been down there in and out. The city of Matamoros, which is 600,000 people and being overwhelmed with um, asylum seekers, are trying to provide some services as they can. Yeah. The United States is doing whatever it can to not. That's the whole point of it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And the way our asylum policy now works is that in order to be able to claim asylum in the United States, if you come through a third country, you have to apply for asylum there first. Mm. So if anyone has applied for asylum in Mexico, right, um, then the United States can say, well, you already applied for asylum somewhere. We don't need to take you. Mm. And if they don't apply for asylum in Mexico, they're being told, oh, you can't seek asylum. So no matter what, there's a situation now right. where people are stuck there. So organizations are doing the best that they can for a very difficult situation. But our government is doing everything it can to make things as miserable for them as possible. But to con question about congregation. So Team Brownsville was originally doing this, and I think uh, World Central Kitchen has taken over just like us, there are other congregations, other, but I yeah. think we're probably one of the few, if only, interfaith one that yes. went down, but there are other that you can sign up on a website, hey, I want to come and help for three days or whatever, yeah. and they're usually full up to about a month or two out, so there are yeah, like-minded people that are actually down there helping out. Yeah. And then to Bruce's point, I mean, we saw, there's deportation flights that are happening out of Whoa. Brownsville as well, and we saw some, uh, they're happening very early in the morning, right? Trying to get at, under the cover of darkness. And you could see buses, you know, uh, two or three buses loaded, going up to these airplanes, men in yeah. shackles, women and children, they're being frisked and being loaded. And, and you know, if you're from Honduras, they're sending you to Guatemala because they 
technically international law, they can't send you back to the same country that you came from. Oh. But then they get down there, they don't know actually where they're going, and then they're asked within 10, 15 minutes, okay, do you want to claim asylum here or do you want to go back to your home country? And then we just saw a post yesterday at Witness from the border down there. Like these people don't, when they're getting on the plane, they don't know where they're going. Yeah. yeah. No one's telling them any That's of that That's terrifying. Right, so. That's awful. Yeah. Yeah. And we were able to sit within the court proceedings as well, which are the virtual courts in that the judge, the translator, and the clerk that's there with the translator and the judge are all on yeah. a TV screen from Harlingen, which is about 30, 40 minutes away, something like that. And you're sitting in the room, you're allowed to be witnesses in the room, can't speak, obviously, can't disrupt the court. Yeah. And you can watch the proceedings. Uh, our group divided into two different groups, two different courtrooms. And the experiences in those courtrooms were somewhat different in terms of how the cases were handled. Yeah. Uh, we were, I was in courtroom B and you were watching one person or one party at a time be brought forward. And while there was a great deal of respect actually shown by the judge and the bailiff and the translator, um, it wasn't cold and uncaring, the amount of information that is being relayed to these people yeah. who are already in a state of utter overwhelm, who would not be coming from that camp, having to cross the bridge very early in the morning, making sure you don't miss your chance, because if you do, that's that, you missed your chance. Yeah. Yeah. And you're being read this very long list of things you have to agree to and understand. So even if they understand every aspect, and court proceedings can be difficult to mm -hmm. comprehend, even yeah. for the anointed and the initiated. Right. And we had that. We had law a lawyer with us saying, I would understand it if I was being told this, right? I mean, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And then you say, okay, so even if you assume, which you can, total understanding, yeah. what level of agency is there going to be to ensure that you can fulfill all these requirements? Like, yeah. how do you find a, an attorney when you're right. in the camp on the Mexican side? Right. And the rate of representation, we were told by one of the members on our trip who'd done some research, was now dropping from something like maybe as high as 20, 25% at one point, now down to as low as 3 or 4%. You're not going to win yeah. one of these proceedings, these hearings, without representation. Right. Yeah. And even then, it's an infinitesimally small chance that you're going to get asylum, as I understand it. And I'm not as well versed as, as Bruce and, and Asafar, but I was struck at how daunting it would be to be sitting in that sort of sterile environment talking to a judge who's on a screen not even in the room oh. and recognizing you make one little hiccup mistake and you may have really severely further disadvantaged yourself yeah. right. and you're talk talking through a translator so talking you're not translator. even talking directly <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah it must be just incredibly daunting and, and just very yeah. traumatic overall for yeah. those yeah. that are going through the uh, process it is an assault on the very principles of our country. Yeah. Being yeah. perpetrated by those whom we've elected to represent the interests of this country. Yeah. yeah. It's Absolutely. an assault. Yeah. And an affront. Yeah, definitely, for sure. Um, so when you're down at the border and you're serving, how much are you actually able to directly interact and uh, converse with the people that you're serving? I mean, you can... It was hard from an emotional standpoint, and this was like the whole group, because um, you don't want to look, right? I mean, this is yeah. the other thing. And so we were actually encouraging each other to make eye contact, to say hello, make a comment. The thing is, they speak Spanish, and there were a couple of us that spoke Spanish yeah. out of the 22 that... So some of us were nodding and smiling and things like that, but you can converse as much as you want. The question was also, 
like being with ourselves and the emotional emotions that are coming up while we're with them as well. So we were definitely because they were very appreciative. They would say uh, gracias and you know hola and stuff. So it's mo a lot of it was responding to them. But I think most of probably the communication was the eye contact and the uh -huh. smile. Like that went a long way um, and humanizing a group of people that have been dehumanized basically. Right. Yeah. Yeah, for and sure. And traumatized. And traumatized. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The witness, so, as, as Asif said, there's a group team Brownsville that's been feeding, and then an, another group witness uh, MPP, which started in Tornillo and then in the Homestead, the detention camps. Witness MPP that just wanted to set up a camp to, to report what they're seeing started January 12th. Do you know how many people they have seen gain asylum since January 12th? Mm -hmm. One yesterday. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm not saying that that's the only person, but there yeah. is the there is less than one percent of the people trying to seek asylum through Texas courts are finding success. Well, in Chicago, it's upwards of fifty percent. So if you can find a way of getting yeah. here, but down there they have seen one, and that was I'm, I heard about it yesterday, so it was actually yeah. last week. I think what yeah. Josh shared it was like 0.04 percent. Yeah, it's really were grant being granted asylum that have wow. been. Yeah. So how do you so it's it's how do you maintain the dignity and the respect of people who've been traumatized and brutalized, right? They know that they're at your mercy. So do you is it is it dignified to look them in the eye and smile and let them know there's a caring person, or is it dignified to allow them to have their story, their space, and to be upset, to be traumatized, and what have you? That's the constant of any time you have an income inequality or a position of power over somebody. Is how do you best respect the person that you are working with? And there's not there, there's not a great answer for that. Yeah, yeah, it's it's incredibly problematic. It's it's very. It's like this is a loss for words. <laughs> you know. Um, well, it's very conflictual. Yeah. And it's yeah. very simultaneous. Yeah. So I think that was well said. You know, I don't want to lacquer over in any way the issues that they're facing in the camp or their concerns. What was also striking to all of us as we had a chance to walk through with Josh Rubin, who was the gentleman who started the whole Witness Tornillo movement, and then we were able to interface with him, interact with him down now that he's doing the Witness MPP program yeah. right there um, near the, the border crossing in Brownsville. Um, he took us into the camp when we weren't serving food was able to describe, well, this section of the camp now, as it's been kind of reapportioned and moved, it's now between the levee and the river. Yeah. So think about that for a second. Why is there a levee? Because it might flood. Right. So you know you're on like high-risk terrain. That's yeah, where the yeah. entire camp now is, yeah. is between the levee, the high ground, man-made, and the riverfront. Yeah. And he walked us through, and the number of people who will look up and warmly engage you, make eye contact, kids finding ways within that cauldron that they're in, in no way suggesting they're not being traumatized, but yet at the same time to be able to manifest that irrepressible human childlike ability to create games and to create meaning. Um, people, there was a, a sense of, I don't think it's an overreach to say a sense of growing community in the camp, of, of a sense of at least a shared um, challenge and they were starting to get sick of each other, which is a sign of community. Well, <laughs> community is yeah. when you feel comfortable enough with right. each other and you've been around that you can feel sick of each other. Yeah, it was just no, just a very so that the civility we reckon that I personally saw within the camp among people who had every reason to be very 
despairing and upset and maybe lash out and be very vocal about that. That would be very understandable. The civility we saw in that setting compared to the circumstances that we were imposing um, felt like a very harsh, to me, I'm still processing it, very harsh contrast. Amen. This seemed very incivil and unnecessary. Uh, can't we handle immigration issues differently than yeah, this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And yet those that have the least power are acting in the most um, admirable ways. So yeah. that's kind of where I am. And I'm, I'm newer to this uh, in terms of processing it than is um, Bruce and perhaps Asif as well. But sure. it, was, it was a very intensive mix of emotions throughout the whole trip. Yeah. 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 And you mentioned how <clears throat> a lot of these camps are placed in, in um, locations in which there's like high risk of flooding and other you know uh, uh, severe weather conditions and whatnot. Um, how are these camps uh, uh, set up in terms of like, like how how are they? What what's the planning process for how in which they go about setting up these camps? I guess is what I'm trying to ask. Because if yeah, go on. No, no, finish. Yeah, if 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 these places are at high risk of you know flooding or, or whatever, I mean, is this done intentionally? Is this? So I mean, what happened was in Matamoros is the most dangerous city in Mexico. Yeah. That says a lot because yeah. right, it's run by the cartels. Mm -hmm. Sure. So um, when folks started gathering randomly at the bridge waiting for their numbers to be called to come over, when it was small, they just started setting up tents on the street right off of the main thoroughfare. And um, everyone was okay with that until it started getting too big and potentially hampering yeah. with the activities of the cartels. Wow. So then they had to be moved. Uh, so Mata Morris had tried a variety of plans to try to move people. Uh, one was to move them to an arena, a coliseum-type place, about six kilometers from the border, but they refused to go yeah. because they wanted to stay near the bridge. So there's a park in the levee. And so the best place to put them, and this, this is why the city of Mata Morris jumped in. Yeah. Right? They actually tried to get the people to leave, too. When, I was, when we were there in October, uh, there was some guy who stood up and said, if you don't leave, we're going to take your kids from you. So there's all that kind of stuff that was going on, yeah. right? So when that didn't work either, they had to get them out of sight but still show that they are at least trying to keep the peace and being nice yeah. about it. So they moved them just from where they were in the streets and overcrowded just over the levee was really the only place. And they moved them into a, a city park, yeah. which on one level is a great thing to do. But that angered the residents because yeah. now they don't have access to their park and the people need to cut down trees for wood in order for heat. Right. And, and so there's now a program in place that when the camp leaves, whenever that's going to be, they're going to they're gonna re uh, seed the, the, the camp. So they wanted to keep it where it was near the bridge yeah. that was out of sight, out of mind from as many folks of Matamoros as possible and to keep the cartels happy. Yeah. Wow. That's so 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 there's cooperation to some degree <laughs> between yeah. the, the cartels and the government and oh totally and, the cartels you know, run it are, I mean it's kind of like our right, cartels tells right, right, the government right, right. there right <laughs> exactly and 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 so they're they're now bringing water in there's now more showers when we were there in October there was yeah. one one makeshift hose that was being used as a shower so people were bathing in the Rio Grande they had bathrooms uh, that Team Brownsville uh, porta potties. That they had paid people to clean but weren't getting clean, so people were going to the bathroom yeah. uh, next to the riverbank where they were. It, it was it was a it was a disaster waiting to happen. Yeah. So the officials of Matamoros have stepped up uh, to prevent a humanitarian crisis and to get them out of sight, out of mind, so yeah. the cartels can continue with their work. Wow, wow. but there, there's a sense of 
more permanence. So that's a, that's a, that's happening since the last time. Yes. And you, we can look at that as a good thing or a bad thing because they are getting more services. But then it's like, well, you know, how long are they going to be there? Right. That's the other thing because we saw some things like laundry stations where people can wash their yeah. clothes now. Yeah. The, People the, starting businesses. People starting businesses. Give people a chance to live. There and they was will. a charging station there, which was the, like the most surprising thing for <laughs> me, like a phone charging station. Yeah. Um, and then you know another thing we, um, Buzzfeed was writing an article. It was Valentine's Day, and they were talking about what romances are even developing in conditions like this. Like even yeah. that's happening, right? So, so so there's like a more permanence. People are getting to know each other, right? So right. It's, it's and they, they I mean they can't come here. They don't. They can't go home, and so being in a place where they're at least relatively safe, and relatively left alone, why leave it right until they actually have to? Now, last week there was a protest in Matamoros, uh, or two weeks ago, of the residents who want the uh, camp gone. So we don't know how long it's going to last, but they're going to have to confront that when it happens. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But you're right. This idea of give them a chance to live and they will. They create community, and and God love them, literally. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, yeah, I was reading. So, I mean, kind of going off of, of that, of, of uh, how they're being placed at, uh, the, in these dangerous border cities. I was reading an article from the, the New Yorker. And along with that, uh, I was reading about how uh, essentially the Trump administration was taking measures to end uh, asylum applications at the southern border. Um, and meanwhile, there's also federal judges having issued nationwide injunctions uh, blocking the administration's plans. Um, which I thought was interesting, but then now there's a pushback on those injunctions, and so this is back and forth between the administration, federal judges, and over the years of since ever since Donald Trump has become president, you know there's essentially this uh, there's, there's a lot of appointing judges, taking judges out, you know whatever, and and so there's it's it's very complex in that regard, um, and it makes the the situation a lot more uh, problematic than what it has to be. Unnecessarily so. And the only reason that this administration is doing it is because it worked. Mm. Right? And what I mean by that is that this administration needed, I said it before, needed a scapegoat. And, and he tapped into something that allows people to ignore the real problems going on in this country and to put it on something else. And you're yeah. right. It's the southern border. Yeah. Right? And he expanded the Muslim ban. Yeah. Right? Six other countries, including Nigeria. Yeah. 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 Right? <laughs> I mean, we can say it about most of the So what's going on is that he's finding a useful tool that yeah. will allow people to feel better about their misery. Yeah. But there's also and there's another step of that, and how true is this, in that he what he's trying to see is how much will people put up with, yeah. right? Yeah. To what, like, to what extent can to he go? To what extent yeah. can he go? Because you've got kids in you know cages like what is the next step from that right yeah. like if you can do that what else can you do and like, right. so you know so there are people that say this is like a test ground this is a testing yeah. time to see yeah. how far people can right. go right? Yeah. if i'll add something despite the anger that you hear coming from me and i think my friends here what i also take away from this which is part of the tears that i have constantly about this yeah there's a lot of negativity to cry about. And there's yes. a lot of hurt. Yeah. But there are beautiful people from around this country. Beautiful, beautiful, thoughtful people yeah. who are doing what they can because they know they must. Right. Right. No more, no less. That are showing up, that are putting their bodies on the line, that are giving that are taking off time from work, 
that are retiring and spending their retirement time. There are so many fantastic people yeah. that are just good. Yeah. And and it's so hard to feel that and see that. You know, we're, we're almost Pollyanna-ish with the three of us coming and talking about how chummy we are, which is all true, <laughs> actually, right? But but when you get down to it, and there's just you're sitting down in, in Brownsville, and this woman from Kentucky that you have no reason to be sitting with, and she just she heard about what's going on on the border, got in her car, filled up her gas tank, and is living out of the back of her of her car yeah. to go be there because she has to be. Yeah. That to me is an overwhelming testament of call it God, call it spirit, call it oneness, call it goodness. That keeps me nurtured and keeps yeah. the, it keeps the tears of anger and pain in context of ones of joy as well. Right, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, there's, at the end of the day, I mean, there's more there's more positivity than negativity than we would like to think, and and because oftentimes a lot of this negative stuff is essentially amplified whether it's in the news, the radio, whatever, we're constantly bombarded with these things. And so uh, that kind of warps our perception of, of how reality really is. It's amazing how uh, you know, the worst in humanity can also simultaneously bring out the best, but it, it's really sad that that's even yeah. necessary. Correct. And, and the, somehow we seem to cover more or in some sick collective way be more interested in, as an audience, the negative. And right. We say, well, where are the positive stories? But we all kind of, maybe more, some more than others, I don't know. I think we're, maybe it's our Achilles heel. Um, it's not what to sells. Be in, to, to be inclined <laughs> right. toward, you know, negative. negative negativity has a, a black hole, a maw-like effect. It can so suck us in and mire us and cause us to be blinded to, to be cataracted about the positivity. There's just not an equal reporting yeah. when we talk about the border, about all these positive things that Bruce just gave such eloquent voicing to. And again, the seamlessness with which people from around the country, you know, you're from Kentucky, you're from Santa Barbara, California, you're from Chatham, you know, you're from New York, you're from Florida, you're from you know, just South Padre Island, you're just up the pike, you're from Austin. Everybody just kind of shows up in this bus parking lot there's a number of people that is probably scheduled to walk over with the food with Team Brownsville on the day, days that they serve food, but that there are always more people that show up, and somehow you just seamlessly make room for them, and you all go over together, and there's this sense of connectedness yeah. and, and being utterly humbled and blessed at the same time and, and, and troubled and yet inspired all at once. But we, we don't cover that. And I will say the other thing is, it's one thing to read even copiously about a topic and a place and a cause. It is something utterly different. This we know, but you learn it again when you go yeah. to go there. Yeah. Right. If you think you've seen what the camp is like yeah. through television reporting or you know print journalism, you're wrong. You don't know unless you go. And if you can't go, that is the importance of the witness so that people can say, no, I went and this is what I saw. Yeah. And I'm not saying journalists filter it. I'm saying to see it with your own eyes, to hear it with your own ears, yeah. is a categorically different thing and a transformative thing in a way that even the best journalism just can't be. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. yeah. If people want to see what's going on, on minute by minute, if you're on Facebook and you go to Witness MPP mm -hmm. and sign into that, you will see a running live commentary of folks who are witnessing at the border every day what they're seeing. Yeah. And I, I can't urge that enough because this, as, as many other topics, as we get overwhelmed with everything with this administration, 
even though the problem at the border began in previous administrations. I think yeah, that's yeah, important to know. Sure. This one has just ramped it up on steroids. Yeah. Is well, that not just that? So, and I think it's important to say yes, it has. But I think the dehumanization, yeah. just the way people are treated, I think is way different now yes. than yeah. it might have been at the time. And I think to your point also, like, you know, when we were in the parking lot waiting for, it wasn't even that we made room for people. I think on that first day, we were concerned that we weren't going to have enough people mm -hmm. to walk the wagons across and people showed up. And that, I think, was kind of, you know, faith and God kind of, you know, when you need it, like the yeah. help will come. Yeah. Right. And to me, I remember that. Like we were like, we have more wagons here than people. Yes. How is this going to happen? And yeah. Uh, yeah. To that point, and, and we ended up working with this group from uh, San Francisco the first time around. So yes, all over the country, people are coming and want to do more. Um, and I think the um, the last part we'll leave with. Um, uh, we are getting together at MEC on April first. I will yeah. send you the link for yeah, it. For sure. So if people want to come out and hear. Um, accounts from the different people that went. Um, yeah. We're going to be sharing that um, awesome. on that day. So okay. great, sounds yeah. good. Great. So witness MPP on Facebook, TeamBrownsville.org. There are local grassroots organizations in Brownsville, uh, folks from the Latinx community, folks from the African American community that are people of color that are organizing, that need support, and it's very important that any kind of organizing that goes on goes through the people that are most affected by it. Yeah. So if you can do some research and learn a lot about what's going on. So if you can't get down there, please uh, tap into one of those resources because this this among the issues um, can't be lost. Yeah, for sure. And as a partner in the process, World Central Kitchen, a very interesting story in terms of you can people can you know do a Google search on that, find it online. Um, but the way they've now dovetailed with Team Brownsville to provide the food and how their ministry, their purpose has come into line with this particular place, this particular yeah. issue. Another great organization to just read about and support. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, all right, one last question. And this is something that I was kind of thinking about as, as you're all talking about all this. Um, just kind of just to kind of like end this off on a, on a nice mellow uh, uh, note um, and, and, and I, as, as you know disturbing as a lot of this is and, and heart-wrenching and, and very emotionally charging if we can just get from each of you uh, what is your most uh, or one of your favorite passages from the from the Torah from the Quran from the Bible uh, uh, about uh, helping others or being of service to others or being or, or kind of bringing about positivity into the world you can go for in any order. It doesn't matter. <laughs> uh, I'm Christian, so I'm all about the cross, right? Um, but the, 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 the cruciform... Right, exactly. Right? I'm just going particular here. They got their room. They got room. It is when there was that attempt to trick Jesus into misstepping, you know, which is the greatest commandment? Well, the greatest commandment is to love your God with all your whole heart, all your might, all your soul. Yeah. And um, that is the greatest. And there is a second like it, and that is to love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the prophet and all, all the prophets and all the law. So you can see in that, that cruciform shape of love God, that's the vertical shaft of the cross, if you would. And then the arms of the cross are love your neighbors as yourself, as you have been loved, so you shall love. Sure. And I think if we are not my Christian view, specifically speaking uh, as a Christian, if we are not attempting to enact 
and embody and be then blessed by and transformed by that cruciform structure of loving God and loving others, then we are utterly off-center, off-topic, off-purpose. Yeah, sure, and you sure. can't do just one. You need to be doing both. And yeah. it's thus right. the relationship yeah. of those two axes, if you would, that allow for that transformation to happen. Yeah. So Absolutely. that's the one I would root in. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, for me, it's a similar thing. I mean, the, the neighbor, I think, is um, what I f focus on a lot when you were talking. Um, and I'm not, I'm probably going to butcher this, but there's this, I don't know if it's a um, ayah or a um, hadith, but the notion of you should want for your neighbor what you want for yourself. Yeah, it's right? a hadith. It's a hadith, right? Yeah. yeah, so that that is, I think, um, where I think of. And there's another one, I think, you know, if you're, belly is full while your neighbor is empty, right? Yeah. That, that whole concept of yeah. like really being concerned about the neighbor, um, yeah. I think is where yeah. I come from in this. Yeah. So for me in the Torah in Devarim Deuteronomy chapter 22, uh, in 22.3 in the context of uh, the commandments, if you find a possession of your neighbor or your enemy, you're required to keep it until that person comes to claim it. And in the midst of there, there is uh, this line, Lo uh, you, are not, uh, you shall not be indifferent. Yeah. And that to me is the essence of what it means to be a religious person, is that you shall not be indifferent. Yeah. And that's what motivates my work. Yeah. Thank you so much Thank for sharing. You. That was beautiful. <laughs> we really appreciate you having, uh, coming on here to the, to the show. Um, to our listeners, thank you so much for uh, viewing in, for tuning in. Uh, I am your host, Salih bin Abdullah. I'm here with my co-host, Iman Malik. Assalamualaikum. <laughs> and until next time, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.